broadcast button has been pressed uh, so you gradually start seeing a participants number shoot up uh, hey, it's just me and you <laughs> it's just this me is, and you. this is also why i was never into events businesses <laughs> history of brain labs because you know i think it's like this maybe um childhood insecurity that you have a party and no one turns up <laughs> well right now well, we bought uh, businesses that have events and then we couldn't do those events absolutely. anymore but, um, absolutely well presently we have uh, 152 and rising um oh. people in our party so uh people are turning up so uh, small party they're here for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everyone uh season two episode two uh today is webinar day and it's mid-afternoon which is very different but everyone welcome uh do pop in the comments box uh in the chat box where you're watching from uh there was 152 when i checked a second ago but there'll be more coming in uh let us know where, you, where you're uh, watching from it'd be wicked to see that uh today our guest is daniel gilbert who's the founder and ceo of brain labs uh, in 2012 he founded brain labs an agency with a mission make marketing more scientific uh, through experimentation, a mathematical approach to marketing, and a very human uh, style of building a company, uh, Daniel's built something very significant that also does good. Uh, Daniel has led Brain Labs to be a 400 plus person company, uh, picking up clients such as Vans, Expedia, Witch, Bed Bath & Beyond, and a couple of high profile acquisitions, as well as a shed load of uh, awards along the way. It's been a pretty crazy eight years, no doubt. Uh, on a personal level, Daniel's someone that I've learned a whole lot from. Uh, when I worked agency side before taking the marketing meetup full time, uh, <laughs> it's fair to say that I could barely move without seeing uh, Daniel everywhere with his regular con contributions to PPC Hero, eConsultancy, and many more. Uh, you'll kind of have to check out his LinkedIn profile picture to know what I'm talking about here. Um, but it was at that time, like where it almost felt like his little avatar was smiling directly at me, uh, just saying, here I am again, here I am. Uh, and while at the time, uh, I will confess uh, to a semblance of jealousy at Daniel's success, this has turned into nothing but respect for his knowledge, passion, and his eloquence. Uh, and that's really quite something to us built over the course of eight years. Um, if you told me Daniel didn't sleep, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so right now, if we're going to sum up that, that little section, I'd say we have a person very much worth listening to. Um, and as a final aside, I can also testify to him being a thoroughly nice chap uh, to lift uh, the, the curtain to the backstage interactions, he's been nothing but thoroughly friendly, uh, open, willing, and, and sort of wanted to understand the community so he could put together something that's going to be really useful too. So today's session is called Proving the Value of Marketing. Uh, it's relevant because as marketers, it's not good enough to just do something and then expect the budget to keep on flowing when you haven't proven the value of that activity. It's also important because as marketers, we often do a bad job in marketing ourselves and communicating our roles within companies. Today's session is important because we have one of uh, a really unique thinker 
uh, on marketing in our company for an hour. So hopefully by the end, you would have learned something new, had your perspective shifted, and had a bunch of things you can implement at the end. Uh, this session will run as a presentation, uh, but very, very crucially, uh, we're gonna be taking your questions. So if you wiggle your mouse down the bottom, uh, you'll be able to see the Q&A feature. That's the place where you stick your questions, not the chat box. Uh, if you stick your questions in the Q&A, uh, that makes my life a lot easier and we can make sure that the right questions get asked to Daniel. Um, don't forget to use the thumbs up feature in there as well, because if you see a question that you like, you can just whack it up and uh, we'll take them from the top. Also, if you are commenting in the chat box, uh, don't forget to switch your messages to all panelists and attendees. Otherwise, only me and Daniel can see it, which if you want to only message us, that's one thing. But if you want to have a chat with a wider community, uh, do switch that uh, to all panelists and attendees, and then you can communicate with everyone else. Uh, finally, before I hand over to Daniel, I just want to thank the sponsors. Um, I feel like people are starting to take the mick out of me by how much I actually <laughs> make sure that they are thanked, but it's so, so important. These sponsors are uh, what keep the, the show on the road, so to speak, with the Marketing Meetup. Um, and you, as the community, have been amazing at supporting them too. Uh, just by thanking them, by using their services, by uh, engaging with them, we show our value uh, when we're talking about proving the value of marketing uh, to these sponsors, which is incredible. Uh, I won't go into depth here because we've spoken about the sponsors here, but also before in the pre-email and we'll do so in the follow-up email. Uh, but very quickly to mention them here, we've got Pitch, Content Cal, Fiverr, Redgate, Cambridge Martin College, Lido, Brand, Further, Third Light, Bravo and Human. Uh, my only ask with each of these brands, you'll see in the follow-up email, there's a, uh, a follow-up message where their, their LinkedIn profiles have been linked. Just take the time to message them. It makes them feel appreciated, which they are and uh, allows us to sort of communicate with the community directly. All that said, uh, that's my introduction done. So, uh, Daniel, there's 212 people in our party today. Uh, so over to you, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. What a glorious introduction. So thank you very much, very kind. No worries. A pleasure to be here, to meet the community. I see the comments flying in on the right already. Hello, Matt, and thank you for remembering that remarketing campaign. <laughs> uh, a, a classic. Uh, I was going to, as I mentioned to Joe, um, leave as much time as possible for questions because I've understood that the uh, community likes to interact. So I've got my opening piece, which I hope sparks some debate, um, uh, but I'm keep, keeping it relatively short and snappy uh, with, some, with some core kind of takeaways that I think um, you'll find perhaps more straightforward than um, uh, you're expecting. So anyway, here we go. Uh, Joe, give me a thumbs up if that's up on the screen. Because I can see you in a tiny thumbnail and no one else, all the comments coming in. So. <laughs> yeah, you're all good. Start getting uh, uh, feedback. Uh, you have to shout to me and um, uh, that includes insults. We'll take those too. That's fine. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, firstly, hello. Uh, the best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. I'm very active on there. Uh, uh, post regularly and um, uh, you can find me there. Um, I wanted to talk today about measure measurement of marketing uh, and in order to do so I thought it was useful to give a brief kind of tour of history to understand where we are today and where we've kind of come from as a marketing industry so uh, if you rewind 30 or 40 odd years the, the marketing industry and the disciplines within marketing were 
creative and commercial. You had your kind of madmen and your media agencies. So come up with brilliant ideas and then purchase space, centralize that, uh, package it and resell it to clients. Um, and you know, I think it's worth remembering that in 1973, there was three TV channels, one of which carried advertising. So if you've described advertising in that time, uh, um, it required its own type of genius. Uh, but of course, I'm painting the picture for how quickly that's changed to a new type of genius required within the last few years. So um, uh, this graph shows us biddable as a portion of uh, media overall. It's also called digital search, auction-based media. There's lots of different ver versions of it, or even digital media. Uh, and it, 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 it speaks to the way that the media is traded, not necessarily um, uh, the actual uh, media itself. So TV at some point is not going to disappear, but it will become traded programmatically. Um, that's not the purpose of today. That's, you know, that's, that's quite widely agreed with most industry experts. It's a case of, of when, not if. Um, and it's not really the point uh, that I'm trying to get to today, because um, even if you don't think it's going to happen, well, 50 to 60 percent is already digital. Um, so it's highly relevant regardless. It's within that portion that's digital, that's either um, half or going to be all of media, um, that the, the, the rules have changed from that kind of creative and commercial that I showed you earlier. And in the right, there's some comments on there about buying power kind of disappearing. Those of you that, that buy Google or Facebook ads know that it's an auction, so um, there's no discounts. Uh, hard as some people might try, uh, they do not exist. Um, uh, everyone can bid at the same price with, with a computer connection, really. Um, uh, these days, in certain instances, ad copy is not about one brilliant piece of creative. It's about um, multiple iterations and testing those to work out what speaks best to each customer. And that's the kind of test and learn that I've referenced in the title. Um, likewise, targeting isn't intuitive. It's not the opinion of one CMO who thinks that they know their, know their customer. Um, uh, we can calculate responses from customers through analysis. And lastly, uh, to the main point of this presentation or webinar, uh, the impact doesn't need to be estimated. Uh, we can measure impact if we choose to do so. So in this kind of test and learn era, um, people that have run digital campaigns, I think this will be native to, and I think um, uh, I don't want to preach to the converted, Joe, so thumbs up if this is uh, a community that's well aware. Um, I think one of the core ingredients, or we all understand potentially that, that, that high-performing marketing businesses um, in a digital era, use this kind of process of test and learn. So it's this kind of loop where we test something and we learn something from that. And um, you, know, you only have to call out the likes of a, of a booking.com as the sort of leader in the digital space. Uh, and it's quite well known the kind of testing engines that they've built. Um, uh, better businesses don't just test and learn, they, they, they turn those learnings into new challenges that they can take back to the business and then they test those and they kind of operate in that iterative loop. There's another distinction that I want to throw in today which is relevant for our purposes uh, which kind of breaks out from that loop and then activates some of those learnings as earnings. I call this process test and learn. Um, uh, I'm aware that um, learnings is not a real word. Thank you for all of those commenting. No, no one commented that yet. Um, uh, and I also wanted to point out that earnings uh, uh, is, uh, yes, at the heart of the framework that I think we should be using to run effective marketing activity. Um, uh, and I don't know at what point 
uh, this became the norm. But marketers uh, seem quite afraid to talk about money. And um, actually, uh, I think that's a mistake. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that the marketing industry has made as a whole. Uh, I saw a brilliant article by Tom Roach, I believe his name is, uh, come out the other day that's well worth a read. And I'll, I'll get Joe to add a link to it uh, as we distribute materials. But um, uh, he kind of references this idea that uh, you know, marketers are, um, or references the data that hopefully all of you would have seen, all you wonderful folk would have seen that um, marketers or advertisers are the least trusted group of people out of any um, uh, organizational unit scoring lower than even politicians. And forgive me, I don't remember the number, but it was, it was low double digits percentage of people that actually trusted advertisers or marketers. Um, uh, so, so he interprets the, even this kind of recent push towards brand purpose or meaningfulness, et cetera, uh, in, in marketing as, you know, this kind of, um, I can't remember what his words are, but it's this, this kind of um, uh, need to feel more important, significant or um, value additive than, than, perhaps we will, than perhaps people give us credit for uh, because people think that we can't be trusted. Whereas uh, uh, my kind of response to this is, actually doubling down on what we should be doing, which is making more money for businesses. And uh, there's no shame in that, much like there's no shame in, in sales. We are helping connect people with the products of the businesses uh, that we represent. So I say earnings. Um, uh, and yes, I don't think we should be afraid to talk about profit, uh, EBITDA, shareholder value. And if those terms, any of those terms are um, uh, feel, feel or seem unusual to you, then that's probably my challenge number one, which is understand the metrics that um, actually drive a business and that are actually important to a business. So we'll come on to this uh, afterwards, but um, one way or one useful tool that I found of doing that uh, is, is asking someone in the business, whether your agency side, I think we're a kind of 50-50 split. But, um, uh, if you were to ask the business what they're trying to achieve, the, the first answer is not normally profit, earnings, shareholder value, EBITDA. Uh, they might say uh, customer engagement or something like that. Um, and one way that I found to really um, uh, unlock this or arrive at the true answer is this kind of five whys process. It's like, okay, so why do you want to track customer engagement? Uh, so that if, because if we do well with customer engagement, then, you know, customers will keep coming back and we'll have a great product. Okay, well, why do you want to have, a, why do you want customers to keep coming back? Why, 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 why? Uh, and eventually, more or less, depending on the structure of the business, you'll come back to something that fundamentally links to long-term value creation in the business, right? So earnings, shareholder value, long-term profit, etc. cetera. Um, profit being a measure of sustainability, right? And I don't, I'm not getting at profiteering here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about um, uh, conscious capitalism uh, insofar as it's not necessarily one or the other. And, you know, for the purposes of this talk, probably not, uh, probably slightly off topic. So I won't go into it. Uh, but most businesses stated aim uh, is to make a profit. Um, uh, and understanding that, uh, realizing that, depending on where you are in your careers, uh, sometimes it takes people entire careers to realize that. Um, uh, the sooner that you kind of recognize that, um, the, the quicker that we can make marketing relevant again. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't understate this either, apart from being the least trusted people, uh, CMOs who are, I suppose, the people that we would all look up to, 
uh, as the ultimate kind of pinnacle of um, seniority within our particular stream uh, are also the least trusted member of the boardroom. So 80% of CEOs in a recent study either didn't trust <laughs> or weren't sure about their CMO. Uh, and you know, if those types of surveys with their slightly patchy data don't float your boat, then have a look at the more empirical data around longevity uh, in the boardroom of each of those roles because they're the shortest serving member. So something's going wrong there, right? Um, and I would argue that it's probably baked up in this kind of process here, which is where is that link to earnings? Where is the link back to the business to be able to say that what we do is bringing value to the business in the same way that every other part of the business is expected to do? Um, I saw some, uh, uh, you know, um, lots of commentary, and I think Joe might have been included in this, I can't remember, but um, you know, there's this popular kind of trope around, look, you know, after, an, after a recession, the brands that succeed are the ones that invest. Uh, I can't remember what it is exactly. Um, and, you know, don't cut your marketing budgets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And respectfully, like I looked at that, particularly as we were going through a post-COVID moment where Obviously, you know, Brain Labs represents, I suppose, the market as a whole, right? We've got lots of different clients from different sectors, so really representative of the market. So, you know, we took a real downturn. Uh, you know, of course, we cut our marketing campaigns. Like, it doesn't mean that they're off forever, but, but when it's a choice between discretionary spend uh, and uh, people, you often go for the discretionary spend. So it's not, um, you know, it's not that surprising. And then I think connected to that, um, what we didn't cut was the part of our marketing that we could link to sales. So, you know, I think there's, there's something in there for everyone, uh, which is, uh, um, you know, don't be surprised if stuff gets cut when you can't link that to actual value creation within the business. And don't be surprised if your job is at peril because you can't link it to success in the business. And don't be surprised if no one listens to you or thinks you're not important. Um, uh, if you can't take, uh, or understand the very simple principle between, uh, you know, from company to company about how that business makes money uh, and what they care about most. And, and um, I don't mean that to sound threatening because it's actually much more of an opportunity because the moment that you get to do that uh, is the moment that you'll start to see careers, decisions kind of accelerate around you um, uh, rather than being um, the, the CFO's enemy, for example. So um, the core capabilities in a business uh, can support this kind of test and test and earn loop. So starting with a challenge, turning that into a test, learning from that test and then turning that test into earnings. So um, uh, I've tried to summarize here what I think are the kind of components or capabilities within the business that support this. Uh, and it starts with a strategy, um, which I guess using different terminology could just be an idea. Like everything starts with an idea. Any marketing campaign has an idea. And that's where that creative genius still exists, by the way. So I referenced the kind of creative and commercial that definitely hasn't disappeared in this new version of marketing. It's just that there's this kind of scientific layer in between that we'll get onto in a moment. Um, uh, so you've got ideas and it still requires a certain type of genius to come up with brilliant ideas. And there's an element of that that I don't think can come from machines, AI, or any of the other fancy data stuff that we might talk about later. It's an, it's an art part of it, not a science. But then, of course, in order to turn that idea into a test where we either validate or invalidate that idea, um, before we can take that to a channel test, um, we have to know through the kind of data measurement section. Oh, hang on, have I got a, um, I can annotate, can't I? 
You're going to get fancy here. With the Whoa! There you go. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> it's face. I realised I was pointing at my screen, but of course you can't see where I'm pointing. I'm just adapting to this webinar world. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so before you can turn hang on, ideas into channel tests, <laughs> we, uh, we need to set up the right data measurement framework. And that is to say, uh, you cannot uh, successfully run a test if you don't know what success looks like before you started running that test. It sounds kind of obvious, but I'll kind of come back and circle back to that in a moment because it happens more often than you would see. So you've got an idea, you've got the right way to measure, like when we, when we run a test, is this going to work? Then you have to have the right capability to execute those tests within channel. That could be search, social, programmatic, SEO, um, uh, digital channels I'm talking about here, not offline at the moment. Uh, and you know, there is a different level of skill in different organizations, of course, that we have to build in that area. Some are geared up to test at scale, um, some aren't. Um, and I think it's that scale bit that I'm really interested in because um, uh, if you want to test big ideas, not tactical ideas, then you've got to be geared up to kind of measure that correctly and test it. So, you know, by way of example, uh, I'm not that interested in, for example, an on-site test and, uh, you know, as a spin-off of the oversimplified Expedia test of changing a color button color from green to orange or something and making $5 million extra. Um, that sort of stuff is tactical, probably overhyped, uh, and in the context of a multi-billion dollar business, is not actually that much. Um, so probably over-marketed, let's say. What we really want to be testing is, is and likewise in any ads, for example, like, sure, you can test, um, you know, mildly different versions of ad copy, but I think winning for me is when we test big ideas like product flows and uh, entire products, for example, um, uh, um, uh, yeah, entire website flows, systems, attribution models, etc. Uh, in any case, I'm waffling. So uh, let's move on to the next part of the uh, wheel, which is around the insights. And again, if they're big tests with big strategic ideas, then um, there's some level of data science required to interpret them, right? Like it's not straightforward to interpret multi-stage, multi-product type tests. Uh, and that's the point at which analysis becomes big data. Uh, the only difference really is that there's lots of it. So apart from that, don't get, don't get too um, upset by the uh, term data science. Um, but critically, I think the power of, a, of an insights or data science team is to then take those insights and then feed them back through the team into new challenges or new ideas. So it's not just about implementing them and, and implementing the successful ideas, it's about feeding the loop. Uh, it's about feeding the loop so that we use insights from those big tests to come up with. Um, oh, what's up to my camera? Have you lost me? Yeah, we've, we've lost your uh, dream. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> We're stopping halfway through the loop. <laughs> You've actually it's a disaster. So uh, this there's actually the, the top question here um, yeah. from uh, a number oh. of people actually is uh, Daniel's camera is such high quality. What's the secret? <laughs> so. uh, I don't really want to go into my whole morning skincare <laughs> routine. Um, it's nothing to do with the camera. Uh, yeah, it's um, uh, oh, Joe asked me that. So it's, um, I just uh, uh, I had an old DLSR camera hanging around and there's this piece of tech called an Elgato Camlink and you plug it in and it kind of behaves as a camera. Um, uh, maybe I'll send a little link around, shall I, Joe, to your 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, we'll add it to the blog post. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> thanks, thanks for appreciating. Uh, um, so we digress. Here we are, back on the uh, slides, back with the camera, um, and talking about how that data measurement piece that's got lots of beautiful squiggly lines around it um, is, is core to kind of the loop and probably one of the areas to my earlier point where um, uh, we see businesses uh, fail more often than not. Uh, now, how do I turn off this uh, clicky thing? Ah, there we go. Oh, it's still got my annotations on the screen. Joe, what are we that's, doing? That's hilarious. I don't even know how to remove it. <laughs> Clear all drawings. There we go. Nice. So here, here I have given an example. Um, if you think about a wheel, like you need all of these parts of your kind of team or your capabilities working well together to deliver a brilliant data-driven testing program. Um, so you need great ideas at the top. Uh, uh, and the one that we were kind of focused in on today was this data measurement piece. And this is what I've observed in many different teams is you know, there's lots of good ideas. Uh, and that's a process in and of itself, right? The creative process is not just individual brilliance uh, these days. It can be customer surveys, internal surveys, the, the CEO's opinion, the CMO, CMO's opinion uh, taken and interpreted, um, all carefully brought into um, uh, you know, tests that are weighted by how likely they are to be impactful and how big they are, really. How likely they are to fail as well. So that's another good indicator. Um, so there is a process into that, but our kind of focus for today was on that kind of measurement piece, which is critical to the kind of test and earn loop. Um, so it's saying, look, this, this team have great strategy. Um, the data measurement isn't right. They've got loads of ability to test at scale. They've got a great insights team and they've got a great team overall. Uh, but um, uh, in data measurement, uh, they, do not, they cannot measure the success of their individual tests in a way that's agreed across the whole of the business and in a way that's then linked to what that business values at its most. So it is not the same metric for every business and there are too many, having looked at the audience list, there are too many different types of business uh, and um, every single one of them uh, will have a different way of defining their own success, how that's measured, what the business thinks is important and what isn't. Um, the easiest way to find out is, is ask. Um, uh, you know, if you, if you can't currently give an eloquent description for how your business makes money, um, uh, then take that as today's kind of first takeaway. Go and, go and ask some people and ask your CFO. Um, uh, you know, they're often locked in the back room, so they love talking to marketing people. Um, uh, but really, like, that would be my, um, my first kind of challenge to you is, is, you know, in the process of doing so, you're trying to understand how a business really works. Um, much like you would do, I'm sure, client side or agency side, if you're trying to write a good marketing uh, response to a brief, then really you're trying to understand the, the client and what motivates them um, and what they're trying to achieve. And I think it's the same thing here, but um, uh, in the context of how the business really works and digging deeper to try and find out what it is. So, um, you know, it's difficult to say what best in class data measurement looks like um, uh, on an individual level, but on a kind of macro level, it's that we can track the success or otherwise of any idea. Uh, no matter what size. Uh, and there is an agreed upon set of metrics across the whole business that are shared. Uh, and it links to a, um, uh, a metric with longevity within the business. So repeatability, let's say. So I think that's the, um, the kind of focus. Of course, 
Um, I've given you this diagram, but of course, if there's great strategy and we can measure it, but the no testing capability, things can fall down there. And equally, if the insights are no good, then it might be that we've run some, we've got some brilliant ideas that we can measure and we've run great tests for, but no one can actually interpret those or feed them back to the business, um, uh, which again is a failure point. Uh, but the kind of topic for today, uh, before we kind of switch to questions, was around data measurement, the importance of measurement overall uh, to a business. And hopefully um, some of what I've presented has helped demystify that a little bit uh, because it's not mathematics necessarily. It's, it's more commercial than that. Um, the mathsy stuff uh, can happen at the insights level. Um, uh, but, you know, the understanding of the core business and linking back our activity to that, doing everything that we humanly can uh, uh, to understand that and link back to it is what really will make our marketing uh, or us as marketers more successful, each and every one of you really in, the, in their own way, I believe. Um, uh, oh, uh, as you interact with your businesses overall. So uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to go to the next slide, but um, it doesn't like me. There we go. No. Shut down. And I'm never annotating again, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I'll practice my annotations uh, so there you go and um, I wanted to open this up to a discussion but just kind of recap some what I would call simple steps um, so find out what the business cares about ask just keep asking ask different people ask senior people within the business um, ask their bosses ask the CFA and um, uh, find out what they're really measuring or what they really care about or what they have to report to their stakeholders about um, if you're a publicly listed business read the read the shareholder report and see what they actually have to report on because that's really uh, what they're worried about. So when you go there saying our CPA has gone up by three pounds and our impressions have gone up by X, um, uh, they, they don't care because it's not linked to anything that they're accountable for or responsible for. Um, uh, find out what it is, then, then uh, do whatever it takes to measure that. Um, uh, there is always a way. Uh, I appreciate that in certain channels, it's more complex. Uh, that we don't have a perfect view of people online. I think that would be a mistake to even suggest that there's no way that we have even full visibility in digital, let alone offline. Um, but there are proxies for that, right? That's where um, uh, that's where you start using what we've kind of always used, which is um, proxies for success. Um, uh, and then finally, link all of your marketing to that. So report on your marketing according to what the business cares about, and make sure that it's simple to kind of take away from it. And then, um, lastly. Um, enjoy your newfound marketing fame and success. <laughs> Amazing. I shall stop sharing. I will also stop uh, annotating because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 the killer of, of uh, presentation flow <laughs> is the annotation style. Um, right. Thank you so much, Daniel. That was, that was awesome. And, and the reason why it was awesome was because. I think there was an element of hard truths in there, um, which is ground your marketing in the money and or whatever matters to the business, which is often money, uh, which is something I think we could so often need to hear. Um, but I think, you know, as much as anything else, it also removes that kind of that mystery about this, this, this stuff, because at the end of the day, when we speak about individuals and businesses, then, then so often, we we relegate people to like these the cfo role or the cmo role or whatever but at the end of the day they're human beings and those human beings have a set of needs which uh quite clearly need to be matched so uh 
if you match those, then you're onto a winner and you can enjoy, as you say, your, uh, your marketing fame and success. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you very well, much. Not guaranteed, by the way. No, no, no. Well, no, but there's, there's obviously a lot of hard work involved in every one of those steps. Um, but, you know, that is also our job. You know, so if you were to sort of present that wheel, that seems like a really good starting point. Um, so we've got some uh, a bunch of questions that have come in, um, but folks, if you've got uh, more questions, then do drop them into the Q and A feature uh, just found down below. And uh, if you see any questions that you like, likewise, please uh, give them a thumbs up so so they can get to the top. Um, there seems to have been some themes that have come out too, and and um, even though today we're speaking about how to prove the value of marketing, some people are looking to benefit from your experience in growing an agency as well so hopefully you won't mind taking some no of course not pleasure. But um, I, asked, I asked you about um that as well in case that was like an interesting angle but uh, for sure they'll, they'll, there's certainly some uh interested folks here so uh we'll, we'll get to those questions uh but first on on the first topic so we've got a question from uh james my one mate james uh who says uh it's a question about uh, brand marketing. So he says, how do you look to measure or explain the value of the top of funnel activity slash brand building marketing? Um, brands want to look great, have great interactions with clients, but are usually focused on the, on the, uh, on the dollars, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a super question. Um, uh, I didn't, and I didn't actually reference this in the talk, but I actually, um, I actually don't buy into the distinction between brand and performance marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's an unhelpful uh, distinction. Uh, um, if you took, I, I suppose, classic examples of like brand building marketing versus like bottom of the funnel, I don't even like funnels, but there you go. Uh, bottom of the funnel search marketing, right? Like someone uh, Googles your product and then clicks on it. Mm -hmm. um, versus let's say like top of the funnel, proper brand building, Coca-Cola type will advertise on TV. We have no expectation that you're going to go and purchase a Coca-Cola after seeing that. Um, the, the, the difference between those, uh, yes, you can call one brand a performance, but the difference fundamentally is the ROI model. It is not that, that Coca-Cola do not have a measurement model for measuring the, the ROI of their marketing, right? That they're highly trained, highly successful marketers and quite brilliant at it. Um, their, their model is not a last click model. It is not, it is not a immediate response model. It's a completely different one. So like you, you've got that kind of um, difference between those. So I think, you know, um, it's, it's a great question. I think the same to me, the same logic applies both to, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't specifying, I guess, performance marketing. That's the kind of logic that I would apply to, um, to, to brand marketing, which is put out ideas, test ideas about where your brand could be. Uh, uh, have the right framework to be able to measure those mm -hmm. and then take those insights to actually try and understand you know what your customers care about and what they don't mm -hmm. um, uh, so de definitely not anti-brand you know I'm, I'm an absolute fervent um, brand advertising supporter um, I just don't think that it's immune to um, uh, uh, to being linked to some sort of profit shareholder value uh, revenue um, uh, and if it's truly not linked, then um, it's very welcome in canon as um, as art. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but to me, it's not it's not marketing, and it kind of misses the point of what we're what we're really tasked or supposed to be trained to do. Um, and by the way, I'm not trying to take any of the fun out of it. Right, some of the um, most amazing advertising 
um, you know, is, is truly creative, but like, you know, it's effectiveness that I'm really interested in and that I think we should be focused on. Um, and that doesn't, that's not to do a disservice. Like I love art as well. Um, uh, you know, I just don't think it's part of our core role or what we're supposed to be selling. Um, so yeah, like I, th I think both and like a balance between the two is, well, it's, it's almost like actually like um, the framework, uh, you know, this kind of test and learn or test and earn framework is what I would use to try and understand um, what the balance between brand building and activation should actually be within a business, right? Like there's, there's a lot of theory out there and a lot of it is well studied and kind of um, uh, looked at, but, but um, a lot of that is postulation, right? And until you kind of um, experiment with that, so you know, by way of example, um, uh, you know, splitting a country in two and having like a you know, 70% upper funnel, 30% lower funnel strategy in half and the reverse in the other one and actually seeing overall what's more impactful on your business. Because um, uh, it's really quite difficult to do with econometrics, to be honest. Uh, and econometrics is um, uh, quite static almost. So you have to gather lots of data and look back. So um, I'm much more in favor of, of understanding or at least experimenting with the truth in a marketing model. Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I think when you think, when you think about what that means or what it links back to, it's kind of this kind of scientific method. Um, the same is actually true of a lot of um, uh, kind of what you would call classic science uh, in terms of how drugs are discovered, for example, like people try out a bunch of different ideas and then they arrive at the answer. Uh, and then, of course, like they rationalize it afterwards as though it was meant to be or it was obvious. Uh, but really, they didn't have, they sort of had a bunch of different ideas at the beginning, tested a load and then saw that something worked. Um, so I think, you know, it's not, um, it's not to be scorned upon. I think actually actively encouraged and managed around in a marketing context. Mm -hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. And, and yeah. No, great. So we've got a question now from George who says, uh, with Wall Gardens, uh, with examples of Facebook and Google across the digital marketing ecosystem, uh, how would you suggest overcoming uh, data management challenges? Oh, sorry, Joe, I missed the very start of that one. Oh, sorry. Uh, so with uh, Walled Gardens, such as Facebook and Google, uh, across the digital marketing ecosystem, uh, how would you suggest overcoming data management challenges where you cannot afford an expensive uh, provider? Yeah, pile, pile the pressure on Google and Facebook to reduce the wall gardens. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I've spoken to both of them quite actively about it. And, yeah. Anyway, let's, let's not get into that. What can you practically do as a marketer uh, today? I think firstly, accept that, like, there was th th that none of those measurement models uh, were perfect in the first instance. So I see a lot of stuff going around around attribution. And like coming from quite a data science background, um, I was always a bit suspicious of attribution and how it was sold as a product because like um, uh, uh, it doesn't reflect how people buy. But um, we all know this from personal experience, right? Like even a holiday purchase, it's not, it's not one journey on one computer no. or across devices that you're all logged into the same thing on. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's conversations that you have offline and that reflects most, I would say, if not, if not, um, uh, if not a minority. Um, so you're kind of starting with a very imperfect data set to begin with, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, which further loses by like ad blockers, cookie blockers, changing of devices, browsers, et cetera, et cetera. To the extent that like, I wouldn't be surprised if you're kind of dealing with a sort of 40 or 50% data set that's kind of presented as this um, empirical truth. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not against attribution models. I think there's, there's a place for them, there's value for it. And to the point about walled gardens, uh, you know, that makes it even worse because you haven't got one single view of the truth anywhere. That's where this kind of skill in measurement comes around because you can't rely on that. Um, and you've got to come up with your own ways in some instances of actually measuring and tying back to real business outcomes, some of your marketing activity. And if it needs to be more top level than that click level or impression level, um, then, then so be it, right? Like that's, you can, you can optimize towards micro uh, KPIs within channel, but still link that at a greater level outside of those channels, which is kind of what we're forced to do at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe in a non-walled garden world, um, there's more data available and we can do a better job of you know, sort of impression level optimization, but I'd, I'd probably ditch that and focus on some big, bigger marketing problems. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, that, that's a really interesting point, actually. So um, one of the, the thoughts that came to me over the, the course of the presentation was, you know, as you observed about our audience, there's a bunch of people at a bunch of levels in different size companies. So obviously we speak to a lot of people um, and a fairly significant amount of those folks will be uh, in slightly smaller companies. Um, so they're not necessarily going to have access to the same big data as, you know, your, your Expedia's or whoever they may be. Uh, how do you begin to adapt, you know, this sort of data measurement uh, approach? Is it you take the approach and then you just apply it on a smaller scale or are there specific lessons that folks can be taking yeah. at a smaller scale? I think um, if, if anything is, is being deliberate about having is being deliberate about the strategy mm -hmm. not just inheriting what's already there necessarily or what someone else told you is done in the team and it, it you know I would, I would always try and start from all the way at the top down right like every business no matter what size no matter what sophistication is going to want to know at top level what do I spend on marketing and what do I get in return and if that's the first thing that you work on before you start optimizing campaigns keywords Facebook ads creatives etc and um, uh, then then just stop and do that that would be my my sage advice uh, take take it or leave it experiment with it i guess um, uh, uh, but honestly like that's that's where i would begin and then everything down there from from there is like a is a progression downwards um uh so yeah i love that no that's really cool thank you very much that's very accessible and actually you know if there's a takeaway from this talk is about how human you know uh describing and and demonstrating the value of marketing is um you know but it's obviously backed up with a, a whole ton of, of data as well yeah. so if we if we take a step change because there are some folks who are interested in your agency background as well and you've obviously been just like your journey's been ridiculous dude so like i mean it's so so impressive so um we've got a question here from lucas uh who himself runs a young agency uh who says uh you're only eight years into your journey, so to speak. I mean, previously a Googler, but eight years into the Brain Labs journey. So how did you get in front of the bigger clients that you now serve? Uh, were your best channels referrals, awards, or was it just good old phone calls? Uh, it definitely wasn't phone calls. <laughs> uh, there's never one moment, right? But I think, um, uh, Oh, well, I mean, I'll answer the question and forgive me if this is not relevant for half of the community. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but there was a, that we were what, like two years maybe into the business. There was four or five of us, I think at the time. Uh, and we got this thing called an RFI. Uh, 
from a from a business called Witch, who are known for reviewing products and services. And bless them in their process for selecting an agency, they they carried over their core product, which was review every product and service in the industry, which meant interview every agency. And thank God they did, because we were on this very very long list uh, of seventy two agencies or something that they interviewed. Uh, and I think like to, to shorten the kind of process, they'd been through lots of different uh, approaches. They'd been through large networks, independence, mid, mid-tier independence, et cetera, et cetera. When we showed up, like, um, you know, w- without really understanding how the agency ecosystem worked at the time, if I'm honest, um, you know, we just presented know, like stuff that probably thematically relates to what we've covered today, which is like, you know, they presented us with a, uh, you know, like an LTV model, I think it was, I'm going back five or six years now, but they presented us with like an LTV model and we'd kind of taken that, divvied it up and then turned it into a slightly different model and showed how sensitive it was to improvements, you know, higher up the funnel. Mm-hmm. So it was different at the time. I think, you know, the market has really caught up with some of that. Um, but it was, it was, it really stood out at the time. And I think they just wanted to try something different. Like they were not from a digital perspective, like um, they tried a bunch of stuff and it wasn't working. Um, so that was the kind of first big client that we got in front of. And I think we were probably a bit nervous in all honesty, mm. uh, uh, partly because they were 65% of our business when we first signed them. <laughs> uh, uh, but partly because it was a true test, right? They were a large business with large fees and, a, 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 you know, um, all the stuff that we did been doing that we thought was really cool. Mm. Uh, you know, this was kind of like, whoa, this is, this is a big deal. Um, so I think that was probably the inflection point was because we started applying some of that methodology. Uh, it really worked. They they are still a client. They've grown. Thankfully, they're not sixty percent of our business anymore. And I hope <laughs> they'd forgive me for saying uh, they're an amazing client. They've been on an incredible transformation as a as a business. Uh, and I think it was you know to answer Lucas's question, it was it was off the back of that kind of confidence slash validation from doing it with one big client that we sort of said, oh maybe this will work on another big client, and then it did. Uh, and then you know you you, you just built a reputation. Um, there's no secret to the business success uh, beyond, um, I think, that probably the one standout metric within our business. I mean, people look at growth, obviously, first, but the kind of driver of that is retention. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, we don't have a revolving door. Like, we just we just get, get clients, do great work for them, and look after them. They grow with us. Uh, uh, and then, you know, new businesses, actually, the kind of growth part on top. Um, so yeah, no, no, no secrets. Uh, um, uh, yeah, just just hard work and um, you know getting that opportunity, taking those opportunities, proving your value, and then and then taking that further up. I love that. No, thank you. And and it, it, your answer already does speak quite a lot to to this next question, but I'll, I'll ask it just uh, in case there's there's a, an additional layer of stuff to be unearthed, which is that you've obviously been on a journey over these past eight years of being. Uh, a marketer, a Googler, an entrepreneur, um, and also very successful with it. So I think particularly focusing in on these past eight years, if you were to start entrepreneurship or your agency again, knowing what you know now, what would you do sooner? Or, you know, and that can either be personal or, or from a business perspective, because I think we yeah. have those, those reflections. Yeah, I think one of the things that I learned, and it took me maybe a few years to learn that, which applies, and let me relate this back to the wider community so that this is relevant as much for a marketer as it is for an entrepreneur, um, uh, is that 
you know, in, in the business, and I think this translates as well to how you show up internally um, as a marketer, uh, I think that the success of the business or the success of your career is a reflection of what you put into it and your own physical, mental uh, uh, well-being. Um, uh, you know, I probably, uh, yeah, I probably got more out of the business at the point where I kind of focused on those first and then the kind of business followed from there, if it makes sense. I mean, don't make it sound too easy, but um, uh, there's this brilliant book by a guy called Sean Aker. Uh, TED Talk is the abridged version. If you want to see that, just Google TED Talk, Sean Aker. Uh, it's, the, the book is called The Happiness Advantage. Uh, and the whole premise is that um, we operate off these rules within our current society where, oh, if I do well at school, then I'll get into a good uni. And if I get into a good uni, which you know, I don't think is the be all and end all, by the way, uh, then I'll get a great job. Uh, and you know, then if I work really hard in that job, then I'll get promoted uh, and then I'll be happy. <laughs> but the problem is that we've deferred that happiness for like 40 or 50 years, uh, depending on when we finally decide that we've been successful or made it. Um, and it's that definition of success. And by the way, we can all define our own level of success. We've all got different definitions. They've all changed over time. And that tells you instantly that they're malleable. Uh, and therefore, if you want to change it, you can. Um, uh, so we've all got a different definitions. And that's just a really, that, that formula I just described is a really unfortunate one. Um, uh, so what Sean suggests is, is the kind of reverse of that, which is like actually like the success that you have within your career or within your business will amplify quite significantly once you learn how to be happy yourself which is a process and is something that you can train and work on like a muscle in the gym mm -hmm. uh, and that's probably not what we came to here to talk about today but um uh, but no i spend a significant amount of time and have done over the years and i think after that realization maybe two or three years in not through any particular event of being unwell uh, mm -hmm. but just realizing that i could bring so much more when i was feeling um, happy, healthy, strong, capable, um, uh, and you know, realizing how much better it was, you know, for the for the business, right? Like it was, you know, I always had this like kind of question of like, oh man, like especially early days in the business is like, uh, and it's matured since then. It's like if only I could clone myself, I'd get double the amount done. Well, if you have double the amount of energy, um, uh, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or, or a marketer, then like you're bringing double as much to the world. You're bringing double as much value, uh, expertise, learnings, so on and so forth. Um, so I think that's probably how I'd best summarize that advice. That, that, that's wonderful. And, and, and to your point about like, um, maybe this isn't what people have come here today, then, then ultimately, you know, we're all people and, and, and like we can all learn from each other in this regard. And even as you, you sat there talking, then I can feel my shoulders relax a little bit, you know, because it, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we're here to enjoy ourselves and, and, and uh, you know, I think that's a very important part of, of life and business. So whether or not that's a lesson in uh, how to, to prove the value of marketing, then I, I think it's an important lesson nonetheless. And, and I guess if we were to shift it towards the perspective of this, then it's a, a solid reminder that every individual that you interact with, uh, who you are proving the value of marketing to, uh, should also be looking to, uh, you know, ultimately they want to be happy as well. So that's a, that's a way of uh, tenuous link, but we'll run with it, Joe. And <laughs> as the connector between marketing and happiness, what a wonderful community you've built of, um, of, of lovely marketers. So you can feel that in the brand and the way that you've brought your uh, community to life. And um, no, I totally respect that, man. So thank you.
too kind, dude. Um, we'll probably close out on, on, on one last question. One last question from uh, Alison here, um, who asks, um, well, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Alison's question, but I'm also gonna layer in a question of my own here, which is, uh, Alison asks, what would be your top tips to help creative minds develop a more analytical understanding and appreciation of that side of marketing? And uh, it's, the, it's also the quintessential question which follows that, which is, are there any resources, books, talks, uh, whatever it may be that, that you would recommend as reading for, for either a newbie or, or someone looking to sort of expand their knowledge in this area? Um, all right, so to the, to the, to the first one, um, look, this, is, this might not be the kind of conventional answer. Uh, so take it as my opinion, not as, as a statement of fact, but um, I've always believed in and have culturally um, uh, introduced within my own business this concept of playing of, of playing to our own strengths. So superpowers, we call them. Mm-hmm. And I've effectively built a career off this. Like I've surrounded myself with people who are better at stuff that I don't enjoy doing as much or I'm not as good at. So if you are a creative genius, I, I, I don't and I'm like I don't know you, Alison, so we haven't had a chance to explore it yet. So forgive me if this is too judgmental, but it's my top tips without um, getting too far into it was like, you know, it's it's okay not to work on your weaknesses, but to pair up with or um, surround yourself with people that kind of fill in those gaps. Um, uh, sorry about that. Uh, so so um, yeah, it depends on your appetite. If you if you are a creative mind and you absolutely have this burning desire to learn more about the kind of analytical side of marketing, then then absolutely feel free to delve in. And I don't, I wouldn't want to put up any barriers to anyone's progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like it doesn't need to be forced, um, uh, uh, because yeah, playing to our super superpowers. Uh, you know, anyone can build a career doing that, and there's you know, really no issue with that. Yeah. Um, uh, resources. Uh, uh, what have I read that I love specifically on measurement in marketing? Whatever it may be, whatever's been useful on your journey. I, I should point out at this stage that you're a prolific writer, so there is a ton of stuff that you've put out over the course of time. Um, yes, and I'm, and I'm writing a book, but no one knows about that yet. <laughs> yeah, we've got the exclusive. I'll stick that on the blog post and we'll yeah. get well, it. So I've realised that I might have um, signed up for more than I can handle it's quite it's quite a lot of work really <laughs> certainly more than like writing a few articles isn't it? Um, uh, what do I like um, uh, I like anything by Les Binet and actually we had Mark Ritson on here as well um, yeah. and people might think that's um, uh, some of what I've said is maybe not from the same school but I think you find that there's more overlap than perhaps you believe so um, I, I really enjoy everything that he puts out um, even if not always agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to dig up. I'm quite a prolific reader, so I can't remember what um, what I've got at the moment. But I'll send you a list afterwards. How about that? Yeah, that sounds great. We'll turn okay. into a beautiful PDF and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The problem, the problem in general with like marketing <laughs> books, uh, and I saw in the comments that someone was referencing like I don't know the, um, the Dagmar model, mm-hmm. um, uh, which. It's from like the 1960s or something. Um, there's plenty in there, but I think there's the world is moving, and definitely some of the principles carry over, by the way. But I think the world is moving so quickly um, within marketing that, like, 
I'm sort of skeptical of some of the manuals. <laughs> like there are some marketing principles that I believe that we should all invest in and, and uh, learn. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, models models for marketing have never been this kind of static thing. And I think when they're presented as um, ever-present truths mm -hmm. uh, or in an academic way, mm -hmm. it kind of ignores, uh, in some ways, the development of new channels of marketing. Like you know, some, sometimes principles work, but sometimes you need to update your principles because there's new ways of advertising that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know, some of that was contained within the presentation today. Absolutely, that's really interesting. That's a fascinating insight, and actually, we've just uh, we've just run our own survey uh, quite recently, and uh, we asked folks what was the most effective channel that they found for learning over the the COVID period, mm -hmm. um, and it could be weighted. You know, I mean, it's the marketing meetup audience, so there's going to be a fairly significant weighting towards webinars, one would think. Um, <laughs> but of five hundred and thirty-seven respondents, only two people selected books. Um, out yeah. of that, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, so anyway, I, I probably wouldn't go that far. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, it's like balancing balancing a mix, right? Like, um, yeah, there are certain principles that apply to to how businesses can and could operate, and I think you know there's plenty of useful. I'll, I'll send you some some good material. That's wicked. Thank you, dude, and thank you very much for spending your time with us today. Um, you know, like. I, I, as I said at the beginning, you're someone that I've learned a lot from over the course of time. So like, it's, it's an absolute privilege to have had you here. Um, My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to the community. Absolutely. I mean, a whole bunch of brilliant, brilliant folks been on this session today. And, and, and we can see the, question, the, the comments coming in as well, sort of saying thank you very much. So that's, that's awesome to see. Um, so last stuff from me, uh, very simply to say thank you all so much for being here. Um, please do take the opportunity to acknowledge, research, thank the sponsors. Um, it really does make a big difference. Uh, the blog post and associated uh, podcast with this will be going up soon. And uh, we've got Conversation Club on Friday. And then our webinar next week will be focusing on uh, conversational marketing and the myths associated with that. Uh, so please do check that out. That will be at um, 8, 8.30 in the morning. Uh, I'm also loving the comment here from Azim who says, uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 9.9 .9 out of 10 needed for the Superman costume. Uh, Saving it for a one-to-one Azim. -one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So uh, thank you all and uh, do take care of yourselves. Thanks, Daniel. And uh, I'll see you all soon. Take care.